Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. An Erio's original. I was born with a special gift. The ability to mentally transform any situation into the worst case scenario in my own brain. My therapist calls my gift catastrophizing. And that's why I'm uniquely qualified to scrutinize and analyze history's greatest disasters and find out who's to blame. They say history repeats itself. Not on my watch. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and I am The Alarmist. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into The Alarmist, a comedy podcast where we talk about history's greatest tragedies and figure out who's to blame. Today we're discussing the Abervan mine disaster. Here's what you need to know. A generation perished in Abavan. On the 21st of October, 1966. 116 children were among the 144 who died. Killed when a colliery spoil tip above the Welsh village of Abavan collapsed. In most places, the victims had died of asphyxia or multiple crushing injuries. Thousands of tons of mud, rocks and water had thundered down the hillside. At 7.30 that morning, a man on the tip warned that a slide might be imminent. More than 100,000 cubic metres of spoil formed a dark, listening wave, the height of a two-storey building. A landslide smashed into the school and filled the classrooms with rubble. In a few minutes, nearly 200 children were in doubt. It was said that 10,000 mourners were massed at the graveside. In that long line of small coffins lay a generation of Abavan. It was a sunny morning in the Welsh village of Abervan, 
when local school children began classes at the Pentglass Junior School promptly at 9 a.m. on October 21, 1966. Located in the Valley of the Taft, Abervan was a small coal mining town. Nearly a century before, the Murthervale Colliery opened, making Wales famous for its coal mining as production soared during the Industrial Revolution. By the 1960s, coal mining was in decline, but it still served as the primary revenue for the 8,000 miners and their families in Abervan. Coal mining creates waste, and the waste rock was dumped into an area known as the Colliery Spoil Tip. At the time, Murthervale Colliery was producing 16 tons of waste, also known as spoil, a day. When one spoil tip was filled with mine rubbish and discarded coal, another one was started. Tip number seven was created in 1958 above a natural spring on the slope of Murther Mountain. Since the morning's first shift at 7.30, workers had noticed that weeks of heavy rainfall had caused the spoil heaps to shift. At 9.15 a.m., the horrific sound of a roaring jet plane shook the entire town. The colliery spoil tip collapsed, and a buildup of water-saturated slurry slid down the mountain, speeding towards the school of children just beginning their morning math lessons. Within seconds, a terrible black mass hit the windows of every classroom, engulfing the school in a thick, toxic sludge. Screams echoed down the hallways as children were catapulted from their desks and buried under the debris. Knocked out by the blast, a young boy awoke to see one of his classmates, a young girl, on top of the shattered roof, one of the lucky few who managed to escape. Most were trapped beneath heavy mud, broken desks, and collapsed walls, lying in the midst of death. The rescue team of emergency workers, volunteers, miners, policemen, and firemen arrived and toiled desperately at the rubble, not yet certain any survivors existed. Using bulldozers and even their bare hands to tear at the coal, a hush fell over the crowd as they heard the first faint cries, a sign of life. For hours, the rescuers dug out as many children as they could find, handing them off to an assembly line of different people carrying the students over mounds of debris, through windows, and to the swarm of sirens, ambulances, and volunteers, washing the slurry off the children and wrapping them in blankets. Hours into the rescue, parents stoically formed a queue in the pouring rain, desperate to see their child come out alive. As one of the fathers realized his son did not survive, he said, quote, This life has broken homes and broken minors, while others got rich. Now, the children have been taken, too. Fun Facts, a.k.a. Death Stats By 1966, the seventh tip, which was begun in 1958, was about 111 feet high and contained nearly 300,000 cubic yards of waste. 140,000 cubic yards of black slurry cascaded down the hill above Abervan. 140 people died, 116 of them children. Half of the school's children had been killed. Of the 28 adults who died, five were teachers in that school. None of the victims were working at the coal mine at the time. 29 children and six adults were injured. 
16 houses were damaged by the sludge, and 60 houses had to be evacuated. With us today, we have producer Clayton Early. Hello. And fact checker Chris Smith. Hi. And our very special guest today is Chris Mancini. Hi, Chris. Hi, great to be here. Chris is a writer and host of What Are You Watching with Chris Mancini. His other podcast, The Quiet Journeys of Professor Atwood, combines relaxation and storytelling. Chris, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your show? Absolutely. I do I, it in a really soothing tone so some yeah. of them want to pass out. I want to see if it works. Yeah. Well, well, you know, I've always been accused of putting people to sleep with my voice. So, so I've, that was um, the inspiration, you huh? Know, I, I kind of leaned into it. Uh, so, you know, and I have a feeling after this podcast, I might need some relaxation after what we're about to talk about. Yeah, but uh, truth, truth. I, I started a new company. I've been in podcasting for like a decade with comedy film nerds and a couple of other uh, things. And in 2020, I started a new content company right when the pandemic hit, which is a great time to start a new company, mm. by the way. And uh, <laughs> that's what I've so, heard. <laughs> so I started uh, uh, two new podcasts, What Are You Watching?, which is when I interview comedians and other entertainment pros and find out what they're actually making and what they're watching, because it kind of like gives a little insight into like why they're watching what they're watching and how they can appreciate a little bit more because they make content as well. And then Quiet Journeys of Professor Atwood was a uh, just kind of like a passion piece of someone who, you know, because I suffer from anxiety. And I thought, well, everyone could kind of need a, needs a little help right now with uh, the <laughs> pandemic and everything else going on. And, you know, every day you think, oh, it's going to get better. Oh, no, it hasn't. It hasn't. <laughs> Things are still getting worse. Uh, so I created this uh, like hybrid podcast of like storytelling, comedy, science, travel, uh, adventure show that can quietly put you off to sleep, but it creates a world and a story so you could kind of drift in and out of it. But there's characters and there's recurring characters and there's a, like a kind of like a calming story. And then there's music uh, and original music and sound effects under each one. So you feel like you're kind of drifting off to sleep with a story rather than breathe deep. This is how you feel. And right. I didn't, I, I, I wanted to do it more of like a passive kind of thing where I don't want to deal with all the mental health bullshit. I just want something to help me relax and that I can. <laughs> make me smile and enjoy uh, the story as I drift off to sleep or lower the anxiety and the tension in my life. So that's kind of what I created. I love that. And you're just wanted to say you're in very good company here. <laughs> good. Yeah, we're, we're all good. And I'm sorry. Yep. So. <laughs> Our listeners, too. Yeah. <laughs> they will relate. Um, now, Chris, we'd like to start off the show by asking our guest, what is something that's recently alarming you? What is something that's keeping you up at night? You know, it's just so hard to pick, Rebecca. Mm. I mean, there's there's, there's so many things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the things is I have kids, and this is such a broad thing that every parent goes through, is like, you know, what kind of world and country are we leaving them? Yeah. Uh, and what are they actually going to grow up into? So what we always like to do is, is the positive side of that is like, you know, if you, when you have kids, you try to teach them your values and to be good people and empathetic so they could actually make things better as they get older. But it's still it, it's a super fear of like everything mm. from them not being safe to losing their rights. So there's a lot there's a lot of moving parts right now. Yeah, I, I think we should also state just for context, everyone, that we are recording this the day after Roe versus Wade has been overturned. So there is a bit of a somber um, 
feeling mood. Right. <laughs> For sure. Um, Talk not about anxiety. To, yeah. And, and on yeah. top of it, we are discussing this very terrible tragedy <laughs> about <laughs> children uh, who perished. Um, so I guess that's a transition. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I think it's about as smooth as you're going to get. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I wanted to start off by reading a letter that was written three years before the disaster. So this is uh, Murther Tidfill Borough Council, MTBC, had raised fears about the safety of the Abervan tip complex since it was begun. This is a letter from the MTBC Borough and Waterworks Engineer to District Public Works Superintendent. And it's uh, July 24th, 1963. It's a, it reads... Dear Sir, danger from coal slurry being tipped at the rear of Pent Glass School. In connection with the above, Counselor Mrs. Williams has advised me that the National Coal Board appear to be taking slurry similar to that which was deposited and gave so much trouble in the quarry at Murther Vale uh, up, up onto the existing tip at the rear of the Pent Glass School. If this is a true statement of the position, then I regard it was extremely serious as the slurry is so fluid and the gradient so steep that it could not possibly stay in position in the wintertime or during periods of heavy rain. This is three years Here before the accident. Here we have a true alarmist ringing an alarm bell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, this is true in a lot of situations where clearly it's the scientist's fault for pointing these things out. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) how dare you bring this up? Yeah, yeah. And I I feel like we have like a Jurassic Park situation where it's like, you know, you always have the the guy that says, you know, you really shouldn't raise dinosaurs from the dead. All right. All right. Well, now that you have them, I'm in charge of keeping everyone safe and here's the equipment we need. Okay. Well, I'm going to give you a fraction of that. You know, Mm -hmm. what could possibly go wrong? Right. (laughs) It also, it's also what, you know, that people always seem to blame that person for jinxing. For the jinx, yes, <laughs> which is like <laughs> it's like yeah. in a in a in a in a perfect game or a no hitter. If a pitcher's throwing, you're not supposed to say the word uh, that you're not supposed to say they're throwing a no hitter. You're uh, supposed to dance around that word. It, you just can't win, can you? No. Being smart or having a, a an expertise and w- being an alarmist, I guess, is mm-hmm. a, a tough role. <laughs> we- well, well, yeah. Well, well being, an, being an alarmist who's right is the loneliest place ever. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. So yeah. let's start off by putting tip number seven up on the board. Now, just for reference, coal tips are a pile of waste material removed from the ground during coal mining. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, the majority of the tips within Wales are now in disuse and present a number of risks, including landslides, flooding, pollution, and spontaneous combu- combustion. So, Other than that, they're great. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's a, basically a man-made mountain right but yes. but there's no sort of solid bedrock of foundation it's just the waste sort of packed together right yeah and imagine putting a mountain on top of a mountain mm-hmm. and then That's, putting a school underneath that yeah right mm-hmm. <laughs> Feels like I, you don't need to be an expert to to think right. that's not a good idea. <laughs> True. Um, so this is according to Northern Mine Research Society. 
Tip 7 was the tip that caused the disaster and was started at Easter 1958. It was estimated to be 111 feet high and to contain 297,000 cubic yards of waste, including 30,000 cubic yards of material, which is known as tailings, which the other tips did not contain. The method of tipping at the number number seven tip was old-fashioned. The rubbish was loaded into trams at the surface. The tram was hauled by rope by a railway, which climbed the sl- the side of Murther Mountain. When the tram reached the top of the incline, it was stopped to a point on the working tip where the crane stood. The crane was used to lift the tram and turn it upside down, and the contents fell, fell down from the front or the sides of the tip. Professor Dave Petley wrote in the Landslide blog, On the day of the disaster, a crew arrived at tip number 7 to begin work at about 7.30 a.m. On arrival, they noted that the tip had started to slide, with the track for the crane having deformed by about 3 meters. Unfortunately, they did not have a telephone. (laughs) So they were unable to report the problem quickly. A worker was sent down to report the problem, but they resolved to move the crane back from the edge of the slide and to sever the overhanging rails. By 9 a.m., the tip had subsided by another three meters. These are the words of Gwyn Brown, the crane driver. Brown said, I was standing on the edge of the depression. I was looking down into it, and what I saw, I couldn't believe my eyes. It was starting to come back up. It started to rise slowly at first. I still didn't believe it. I thought I was seeing things. Then it rose up after pretty fast at a tremendous speed. Then it sort of came up out of the depression and turned itself into a wave. That is the only way I can describe it. Down towards the mountain, towards Abervan Village, into the mist. Hmm. Now, can I can I ask a question about the logistics of these um, waste piles? Like, was there some kind of long term plan to like once you had literally had these mountains of waste on the mountain, like to remove it, or was it the kind of thing where, well, once it's there, we'll just leave it? What what can happen? Once it's there, that's a great question. Once it's there, it's just there. I mean, they still have them. Mm-hmm. Now they're they're not even you know uh, even even for collieries that are closed and are not functioning. There's still the these waste piles there's, surrounding them. There's a BBC News article I just looked up from February of 2021. Almost 300 coal tips in Wales classed as high risk. Quote high risk. Hmm. So they to your point, Chris, they still exist and they are just they're just piles you know? that <laughs> wow. just are there. <laughs> Now, from what I heard, so this tip had slid about three times since 1954, the the tips on on, uh, Murther Mountain. Uh, But the understanding was that if, as a community member, you complained about these tips, they would just shut down the coal mine, which employed over 1,000 members of the community. Mm -hmm. So there you go. You don't want to mess with your neighbors and their livelihood yeah are you going to be even if you're not one of these people who work at the coal mine well do you want to mess and it's important to think about that in this context right where we are here in a podcast doing a podcast in 2022 and it's very easy when you're not a part of a community to look at something and and you know just make a snap judgment hey you're not handling this thing the right way you're not you know have you don't have the same right safety protocols in place etc etc 
much more difficult to be in that scenario, to be a part of that community that relies on this mm-hmm. on this mining and 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 say the same thing. Generally, a lot of times it's the only industry there and there's right. like, you know, it's mm-hmm. a mining town and then, okay, well, then there's a bar and a general store and then mm-hmm. that that's pretty much it for the town. So if you shut that down, then the whole town goes under. So I'm sure that was a concern. But you also wonder too, well, like, hey, um, can't we meet in the middle somewhere and hire one safety inspector right. to, 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 to try right. to figure things out? <laughs> you know, that's one extra job. And then we can figure it all out from there. Right. But then what is the safety inspector going to say, right? Shut it down? Right. Or the, mm-hmm. It's almost like a it's better not to know um, kind of situation, which is very dangerous, obviously, as mm-hmm. we as we see over and over with these disasters. Um, I want to put up the Murder Valley Colliery. I'm sorry, did you say Murder Valley? No, Murder. No, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> Murder Vale, you mean? Sorry, Murder Vale. <laughs> Murder Vale. I literally Murder said Valley, basically. Murder Valley. Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> oh, so the tipping crew at Murder Vale had no training or guidance on how to manage the tip. Essentially, they just looked around for an empty space near tip six, and uh, which was already too high. And they just decided, well, we're, we're going to start tip seven over there. It would have failed every safety guideline. It was too tall. It was st- placed on a steep, porous slope that was eventually on a spring. I mean, this is wild. It contained tailings and traditional spoil, and it was above an element- elementary school. Now, when the tip started, it was just beside a spring, if that makes any sense. And it was a spring that many in the community knew about and would play in. The kids would go and play Mm. and they just knew that, you know, oh, well, there's the garbage, right? You know, the little mountain of garbage next to the Mm -hmm. spring we play at. Mm. As more and more waste came about. Murdervale was had like th- something like 36 tons of waste per day or something like that. Um, it grew and grew and grew to the point that it covered the spring. Mm. Now imagine just water springing out under a mountain of garbage. That's going to be very unsteady. <laughs> I mean, you'd think. Mm-hmm. But this is, this is where they decided to put it because they didn't have to move the machinery to create a new tip. Does that make sense? Instead of like moving to the other side of the mountain mm-hmm. where it could have been a safer position, they already had the trucks and the cranes and all the things right there for tip six. So they just yeah, like, let's just put them it over. Yeah. Save cost. Exactly. Now I wonder too, like when they were building the elementary school, were there like a couple different sites they were considering? Like, uh, well, we could put it here, we could put it there. I'm like, mm, put it under the debris mountain, you know, like there is there right. like, like, was that like a, a weird choice? Like, you know, what made them put it where they put it? Well, I think the elementary school was there before the tip. Okay. So whoever decided to put the tip where it was. Right. Should have taken into consideration the well, fact that there was an elementary school right underneath right. it. Well, so it actually we, makes even less sense then yes, because correct. the school was already right. there. Mm-hmm. Correct. <laughs> the, 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 maybe that we can put up on the board something to the effect of 
uh, not thinking ahead. What is a better way to put <laughs> I that? I love it. Well, you know me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> to me, the For, fact foresight. Yeah, but seriously, foresight. what what are we doing if we're not right. just using our foresight? Poor foresight. <laughs> I've, you d- know, there there's the expression "carpe diem," which is seize the day, right? <laughs> and there's <laughs> there's a big push for uh, living in the present moment. I think in our society, mm-hmm. but there's also something to be said about thinking a little bit into the future. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Live in the future people and also live in the, uh, you know, think about the past and, just think about it all it's tough it's tough <laughs> we're, we're, we're we're trying to let's try and it's a fine line but you have to kind of think about all three at the same time. <laughs> right be present so you don't trip and fall but remember where you came from and know where you're going yes oh, Clayton, 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 that's beautiful well put. It, it is that's really well put but also a lot of work anxiety this This is why we're all so anxious yeah Yeah. this is why we need chris's podcast before we go to sleep (laughs) oh jeez. i mean i'm sure anxiety has been around for uh you know all of humanity (laughs) but i wonder i'm just curious because you know people have just recently started talking about anxiety and sharing that and even like categorizing oh that's anxiety right but has it gotten worse, I wonder? Well, it's gotten, uh, it's become more uh, discussed, I guess. I mean. Well, for sure. But there's no way to know like, okay, back in the day, you know, back in the medieval times, you know, only 5% of humans <laughs> suffered from anxiety, you know. And okay, now, it was a lot you know, higher back then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I wonder. Yeah, it was like 80% plague, 5% anxiety. So. <laughs> I'm just curious. It's a shame we can't know, well, you know, ha- a- have our anxiety numbers gone up or down? Well, it's also interesting to think about anxiety in terms of uh, how it has helped us in, ter- in, in our evolution. I mean, mm, things like sa- safety measures and mm-hmm. and, and uh, foresight, uh, those you have to worry about the worst possible scenarios. I mean, you think about NASA or something like that. They have to think, they have to consider everything that could possibly go mm-hmm. wrong on a, on a trip into outer space. Mm-hmm. And they've got to solve for all those things. And that's what, th- those are the levels of security that, um, you know, they, they spur on invention and, and innovation. So um, there's, a, there's, th- there's a stigma attached to anxiety, but anxiety, there's probably also a better way to put that as a new, better word for mm. that, that. I mean, I here's an idea. What if we all treated our lives like it was a, a rocket ship going to the moon? Okay. With that kind of well stick. I would love to go to the moon right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> <a good> time. <laughs> yeah, this sounds Seems great. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> if only I was a billionaire, I could build my own rocket. So. <laughs> well, let's um, let's also put the National Coal Board up on the board. This is according to journalist Erin Blake Blakemore. A tribunal later concluded that the National Coal Board was responsible for the disaster after examining 300 exhibits and interviewing 136 witnesses. The tribunal official report said, while doubtless officials 
of the Southwestern Division of the National Coal Board with their local knowledge and their awareness of slips, which had actually occurred in the past, were more at fault. We cannot escape the conclusion that the board must at national level also be blamed for its neglect of the stability of tips. There was the, the overall responsibility for the initiation of policy, which involved that at national level, there should be there should have been due consideration of the proper methods to dispose of the waste of the coal mining industry. Professor Dave Petley said in the Landslide blog, Perhaps the most unbelievable aspect of the Abervan disaster is the failure of the National Coal Board to recognize that flow slides in spoil heaps represented a serious threat despite multiple previous examples. The tribunal report was almost 100 pages describing the previous flow side events. The failure to learn lessons from these multiple accidents and the lack of recognition that spoil heaps were hazardous is extraordinary, especially as the risks had been documented. In addition, there was an extraordinary local failure to recognize that the tips at Abervan were particularly problematic. Despite this, not a single National Coal Board employee was prosecuted, dismissed, or even demoted in the aftermath of the accident. Can you believe that? No one lost Mm. their job. Well, you know, it also probably means that everyone kind of did know what they were doing and they just made a conscious decision to, quote, not worry about it, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's the kind of thing, well, it'll be fine. I think the beginning of that report makes a really good point where the best expertise are the people that are actually in the area and on the ground. And when you have those local experts there seeing that there's all these anomalies and things that could go wrong and and, uh, basically coal red flags on these um, things that were happening, those are the experts you really want to listen to. And the fact that then there was the National Coal Board and then everything was kind of systematically ignored or, you know, the put swept under the rug means it was a failure. But that failure, like like that report said, started at the beginning at the site when people knew things were wrong and things could happen. And again, it's, you know, how many, um, you know, how many stun guns do you want to uh, protect you from dinosaurs? I need 18. Well, you have two. So that's the, <laughs> it's the kind of thing. I, I'm sure there were people on the ground saying we need to do something about this, and they were they were ignored. Absolutely. Um, and again, this, like you're saying, it, it really comes down to policy, right? And that we need to oversee these things, right? Because if we don't, and we just leave it to the you know hands of the locals, or or you know to the uh, people who are there's always going to be money involved is what i'm saying right it's like right that's i mean i think that's i was thinking the same thing we should there's something to be put on the board about the reason safety why versus money exactly mm. i mean profit right that's what they're worried about in the long right run. What safety about versus this? profit yeah i was gonna say government protecting producers not consumers well yeah yeah that's yeah regulation regulation yeah. versus car i mean there's it's all kind of in the same pool of uh ignoring a problem <laughs> Yes. Yeah. So this is according to researcher Leon McLean 
in history and policy said the corporatist climate of the 1960s in which the NCB was virtually a government department blinded civil servants to the enormity of its behavior and blunted attempts to hold it responsible. The Ministry of Power thought that people should not be allowed to sell coal more cheaply than the NCB and rejected a private contractor's offer to clear the tips and sell the coal precisely on the grounds that that would undercut the NCB. Every citizen is a consumer of food, of shelter, of a safe environment. Only some are producers of coal or of anything else. Government should be on the side of consumers of coal, not the bosses of the firms that produce it. So there Um, was actually an offer that it could have been cleared by another company? This is what I'm, yes, this is what I I, I believe happened. A private contractor offered to clear the tips, but Mm. perhaps that would have meant that the price would have gone up. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm sure that's expensive. Right. Now, I also want to put uh, Chairman Lord Robbins up on the board. Uh, Again, this is researcher Leon McLean. Uh, The Lord Robbins of Woldingham, a former trade unionist, unionist and labor politician whom the Macmillan government had appointed chairman of the National Coal Board, arrived... I'm sorry, Rebecca, could I interrupt you for yes. one second there? And just when you said Lord, I'm just imagining the Monopoly man with a monocle and a top hat. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's, yes. I think so. I think we can go ahead and do that. <laughs> so, Lord Robbins... This this is wild to me. Arrived 36 hours later, having first gone to Guildford to be installed as Chancellor of Surrey University. He announced that the cause of the disaster was an unknown spring underneath the tip. This was immediately challenged by villagers who had known it all their lives. So the disaster happens and he doesn't come right back to his, uh, you know, the disaster site. Right. He... It waits 36 hours because he wants to be um, installed as chancellor of this university. Um, So clearly this is a guy who's putting himself over his entire community. Yeah. If you're, if you're the, if you are the chairman of the national coal board and there's a massive coal disaster, you're going to want to not make any stops on the way. Um, I just think it just unless makes it's you- to get gas or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> unless you have to pee yeah. or something. Those yeah. gas, food, and peeing are the yeah. only. We'll give you the exemption. Or, or for you, that. you know, or, or you get a, your get your get out of jail free card on your way. It's mm-hmm. there too. Oh, <laughs> Make sure right. You get that two hundred dollars right. as you're passing. Yeah, go. yeah. <laughs> um. So this is this is who we're dealing with. Um. We're also, you know, I know we're running out of time. So I want also want to put up chummy regulators. Mm. <laughs> so this is, again, Leon McLean said, inspectors, like the technical staff of the pits themselves, were in 1966 mostly men who had risen from the ranks. They therefore shared the culture of those they regulated. The model for independent inspection should be the rail railway inspectorate which since the 1840s was always recruit has always recruited its staff from non-railway engineers so it seemed like it was a history of people who were regulating just the same way for years and years and years and kind of helping each other it sounded like kind of like a club almost 
like yeah kind of like it's uh you know it's it's just kind of almost like a formality to get anything right. past the regulators because you all you know go like you said you all go to the same club and you know mm-hmm. each other personally right this so is always- by, by the way you know when we have house inspectors in, in la like uh we when we're doing any kind of construction it's a random inspector every single time <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's true but that you know but there but you know once there's if there's one regulator that you know the the people know like the corporations know it's it becomes a kind of like a buddy system yeah right. yeah it, it it it's kind of creepy and there are some industries where you you have this there's this specific niche expertise and the people who are the inspectors one day are vying for jobs the next day so they jump to they could jump to a private company and and you know they think about that while they're inspectors right so if they need to turn the other way on some it reminds me of uh you know the revolving door of politics and sort of punditry where you and lobbyists yeah yeah lobbyists mm-hmm. and if you're a pundit you're you you can sort of skew a certain way and you know spin a certain story to make certain people like you and that's mm. how you get jobs later um right. so i don't know how you fix that or if there's you know because there does need to be a you know you you need to be discerning if you're a regulator and you can't mm-hmm. have you can't be chummy i mean it has to be right business i mean it, it's a human um it's tough man it, it's it's tough to be discerning as a human when when you know people, right? When it's yeah. Well, you know. in this case, the regulators probably shouldn't have been townspeople, right? It should be someone who's objective and doesn't isn't affected by like the local politics. The someone who lived at least thirty minutes away. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Next well, over. <laughs> and I was gonna say, like, at least it has to be someone who values, understands the stakes of this of their job, right? <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, you're. Sure, this might be your buddy's coal mine, right? Mm-hmm. But th- you're you're talking about thousands of people who live right underneath it, and your job is to keep them right. safe, right? Yeah, and you should probably pay that regulator fairly too, so they yeah. actually, you know, take the job seriously. Right. And it's not impossible that you could do both, that you could have a relationship with the company and also be good at your job as a regulator. So mm-hmm. that, right. that's, it just doesn't always work out that way. You know, it's funny and um. In National Football League, the referees have to have a certain net worth, so they are incorruptible. Like mm. you, you have to have a certain amount of money to your right. name, like they, or else you can't become a referee in 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 the NFL. You have to you have to be incorruptible to money in that way. Isn't that funny? I mean, mm. that makes a lot of sense. Not a bad idea. Yeah, <laughs> right. it's sad that we put that standard on sports and not like you know <laughs> Teachers, public, pub, safety, public safety. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, finally, I, I also want to put up. Um, this is very sad. It's cheaper to kill people. Mm. Um, okay. This is again according to researcher Leon McLean. The NCB had strict liability to compensate those who suffered pecuniary financial loss from the slide of the tip. That is, it would have faced this liability even if it had not been shown to be negligent. This doctrine, known to lawyers as Ryland versus Fletcher after the 1868 case that established it, was perverse, has perverse consequences. If a corporation is liable, whether it is negligent or not, it has no incentive not to be negligent. Furthermore, Injuring people is expensive. 
killing them is cheap. A line of cases has settled that damages for bereavement are nominal. Even injury claims are difficult when they relate to psychological injury, which may take 30 or more years to be revealed. A University of Wales study showed that 29% of Aberven survivors who agreed to be interviewed were still suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder after 33 years. As far as I am aware, no Aberven survivor or parent has successfully sued the NCB or its successor body for causing them post-traumatic stress. (sighs) <sighs> yeah, this is this it's, is like the sad truth of some of corporate you know, and numbers. Culture. The insurance companies and the corporations go over this all the time. I think there was mm-hmm. a movie about uh, I think with Gene Hackman and uh, it was a class action or something where they they went through the numbers like yeah, well we have a fault in the car. Here's how many people it's going to kill. This is what it'll cost, but it'll cost more for a recall. Mm-hmm. So just right, basically geez. let people let people die. So it's uh, sadly it happens all the time. Hmm. Yeah, we always come to this point, and in the more serious episodes of The Alarmist, I, I we were saying to Chris, he just missed the cutoff for uh, Big versus Carrie uh, breakup <laughs> in the City. We have him on this one. It's the luck of yeah. the draw. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah. In, in a lot of these more way to seri- ease me into it. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but in a lot of these more serious uh, episodes, we do always come up against this, where the yeah. value of the human life in a capitalist system is, you know, negligible, put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be, you just so easily see it time and again, turned into just sort of an item on the, uh, right. item on the, on the spreadsheet that is, you know, not profit not as, is more important yeah, than people. And, yeah. Profit yeah. is more important than people. So is there anything else we want to put up on the board before we start knocking them off? I think we're, We've got a hefty list, let's yeah. say. Yeah, I think it's pretty <laughs> it's short, comprehensive. But it's dense. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let's take a quick break and then we'll be back soon. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have stress and anxiety we carry around as we go about our everyday life. At The Alarmist, we know it's always better to say it out loud and talk it through. Whenever I stress about the sinking of the Titanic, I don't sit with those thoughts in a dark room. I turn on the lights and dive right into it. Therapy is a great place to get things off your chest and work through what's really going on. Maybe you can't stop spiraling or catastrophizing. I started therapy over 10 years ago and never looked back. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Heck, we sometimes change our minds and rethink the verdict at The Alarmist. And that's also okay when it comes to therapists. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com alarmist today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash alarmist. Okay. <laughs> Who is to blame for the Abervan mine disaster? Is it tip number seven? Uh, Murdervale Colliery? Poor foresight? The National Coal Board? Lack of regulation slash protecting producers, not consumers? Chairman Lord Robins? Chummy regulators? Or cheaper to kill people? The sentiment, cheaper to kill people. Mm-hmm. Or profit mm-hmm. over people, yeah. Profit, profit over people, over people. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, right off the bat, we usually have an easy one to knock off. Uh, this one's a small list. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I think tip number seven you could knock off because it's not the tip's fault. No. But, yeah. Uh, I think that could go. But uh, the right. rest of them are tough because you could make an argument for every single one of them. Right. Mm-hmm. Poor foresight. I mean, that... In a way, it comes down to the regulators and the National Coal Board, right? They're the ones who are the, who should be uh, really they're getting paid to have that kind of foresight. For sure. I mean, it definitely starts with the regulators, and then it it starts with the regulators saying this is what should be done, and if they weren't doing that, that was their fault. And then the regulators not being listened to, then it goes to profit over people. So I think it's it might be. Can you do like a half and half? Are you guys allowed to? Tie? Are you guys allowed to have a tie? We will. On the show? Yes, there might be. We also have the big slap, which is kind of like the uh, runner second up. runner up or the first runner up. Um, so I, I just feel like, well, I, I feel like we can actually fold poor foresight into the coal board and the regulators. Sure. Mm-hmm. Just so that we can be more specific as to uh, Lord Rubens. Uh, Rubens is like. He's the head of the, the National Coal Board. Right. And it, it, it just in that, it, in just sort of thinking about those two things, this feels like it's more of a system, right, the, of, uh, uh, you know, gr- the group seems to be more responsible than just the one guy in charge. Although, yeah, I, I mean, say- can you, do you blame Darth Vader or the Empire? 
Um, it's a good question, actually. Yeah, I don't know. What Should do, do that know? episode. Yeah. <laughs> Chris will have you back for that. Yeah, one. Chris is already campaigning to get on a, a lighter episode. <laughs> we already did Jurassic Park, so yeah. sorry, Chris. Yeah. Oh, darn it. <laughs> um, let's, okay, so what do we do here? I mean, do we... Uh, the chummy regulators. I mean, it's hard for me to just to sort of maybe maybe this is a bit of an easier easier one. Is is it's harder for me to blame the actual coal mine itself, the 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 right, yeah, Murder yeah. Vale, yeah. yeah, because um, you know, when you think about it, it's you know this part part of this community. A lot of people are living off of this. Uh, it, it's a resource for this community. Yeah, and a lot of them weren't. Um, experts on where to choose that's the thing yeah it's like if it's like it's the the technology of the time right like that's what they had there was there weren't many other options and so okay we'll take them off the board i also kind of feel the same way about i mean i feel like the regulators as chummy as they may be were part of this system of the board like yeah it seemed i don't know i mean you want to you want to roll the regulators into the ncb yeah, well, it's like they—they they definitely are a candidate for like a big slap, but like so are other people or things on this list, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I think we can roll them in. I think that's a good call. So, I mean, yeah, I was gonna say Monopoly Lord Robins. I mean, he really—if uh, he said something like, you know what, I'm looking at all the data, we got to stop this. He could have actually, you know, said to them, well, no, we've got to, you know, work on this safety. Mm-hmm. So I feel like he could have pulled the plug at any point too and said, look, mm-hmm. no, we got to do the right thing here. So I think there's some responsibility there as well. I agree. So we've got the NCB still up on the board, the National Coal Board. Uh, lack of regulation sla- or uh, protecting producers, not consumers. Chairman Lord Robins and cheaper, you know, the, the idea of profit over people. I'm leaning towards sending Lord Robins to the alarmist jail. Wow. Mm. And okay. Darth Vader slapping <laughs> Darth Vader with a monocle. yeah, and slapping mm. profit over people. Just the idea that this this culture that has really infiltrated and and like infested society, mm. where that kind of thing is just looked at and been like uh, not overlooked, but just like understood. It's just like an understanding. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I like I like slapping profit over people because there i think there's we dehumanize ourselves a lot i mean we don't but there's ways in which society or people with certain agendas can dehumanize people for whatever and it becomes after and it becomes not only a culture but like just a way of doing business which is uh, you know is is not good at all no so what do you i mean in a way it could be a uh like Chris was saying like a, a double doubling up on this one where it's Lord, the chairman, Lord Robins and the national coal, coal board go hand in hand and we send them both. I'd be okay with that. <laughs> I don't think we're going to get a lot of pushback on yeah. that. Yeah. Um. No, I think that that sounds good. And, and I, I also like the idea that we're including because we're including the board with him, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I like that idea because, you know, these systems, they they have their own kind of, 
you know, inertia or maybe that's not the right word, but they have their own sort of momentum and, and movement. They're just sort of like happening. And, you know, it, it, it's more than just the leader. It's it's sort of how they're founded and what they're made up of. And it's the their inaction in mm-hmm. this case uh, that that sort of is most contemptible. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm going to make the call. Profit over people. You're getting the big slap. Chairman Lord Robbins and the National Coal Board, you're going to the alarmist jail. Chris, I mean, welcome to the alarmy. Uh, <laughs> Glad to be here. Yeah. <laughs> and I wanna, you guys are I wanna, doing good work. <laughs> I, I want to congratulate us on not making one dumb joke about having the same name. I think that was oh. nice. <laughs> we dodged that bullet yeah. right up until yeah. the end here where I brought it up. We're but. so mature, right, Chris? Well, I guess I'm congratulating Absolutely. myself for, oh, who are <laughs> oh, you talking to? <laughs> Get a little punchy at the end here. Uh, <laughs> no, but seriously, Chris, thank you for joining us and uh, helping us discuss this, you know, absolutely terrible tragedy. Oh, absolutely. I'm glad to uh, be here. Thanks for having me. Immediately following the disaster, Queen Elizabeth II refused to visit the grief-stricken village in Wales amidst the politics of a growing Welsh independence movement. Eight days later, she had a change of heart, put politics aside, and traveled to speak with the residents. A tribunal of inquiry was reported in August 1967, faulting the National Coal Board entirely. The Abervan Disaster Memorial Fund was established to help bereaved families. It was nearly the largest fund raised in the UK, second only to the Princess Diana Memorial Fund. Only after an impassioned fight from the Abervan residents, eventually, all seven of the spoil tips were removed by the National Coal Board and the government. Visit our website and let us know who you think is to blame at www.thealarmistpodcast.com and follow us on Instagram at The Alarmist Podcast and on Twitter at Alarmist The. You can also send us your thoughts via email to thealarmistpodcast at gmail.com. Today's episode was produced and engineered by Clayton Early with fact-checking by Chris Smith and editing by Molly Hockey. Thank you to our associate producer and researcher, Alex Paul. The Alarmist is executive produced by Rebecca Delgado-Smith and the Erios Network. Tune in next week. We'll be discussing the Gwen Chamblin Diet Cult. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.